0: Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message.
1: If you have your Bibles, you're going to be turning to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We're focusing on practical Christianity. Remember, that's what James is all about. Where the water hits the wheel. How do we live each day? How do we make a difference? And what does Christ call us to be? Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus says that we should never show favoritism, never show partiality or favoritism to people, to other people, because of what Jesus Christ has done in our heart and our life. Now, hold on a second. That's a real challenge. Amen. (laughs) Some of us feel real comfortable when the preacher's preaching on murder. Well, I hadn't killed anybody. So <laughs> preach on murder, preacher. Preach on murder. Doesn't convict me about it. I haven't killed anybody. But wait a minute. When we get to practical Christianity. We start talking about things like showing partiality or favoritism to people. That's just as much, we'll find out today, just as much as sin as murder in the sight of God. And so it's going to challenge our hearts. You better stay awake. Amen. Punch them. To them. Don't let them go to sleep. They need to hear this today, all right? Listen to what it says in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also at the same time comes in a poor man in dirty clothes... And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in this good place. But you say to that poor man, you stand over there or or here you can sit by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Please leave your Bibles open as we talk about this truth today. Father, thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. It's not the mind of man that reaches the mind of man that we're after, but it's that the Spirit of God would reach our heart and that he would transform us in our life to be more like Jesus. Father, help us to be open to conviction today, because this passage is going to convict many of us about how we view other people. Help us to be willing, Lord, to confess that, to get that right, to remove that sin out of our lives so it doesn't hinder our fellowship with you and that we can walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I pray that you would guard this time, that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of the most important words are found there in verse 1. Please don't miss it. My brethren, do not hold your faith, here it is, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. With an attitude of personal favoritism. See, he begins by describing who it is that we serve and who it is we have faith in, right? Who it is that we serve and have faith in is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And what that simply means is, is that we want to live like Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus. We want what Jesus' priority and what He had in life. That's what we want our lives to be. I mean, if you just want to know what the Christian life is, if somebody took your Bible away and somebody would just give you a list of everything Jesus did, that's what the Christian life's all about. Just be like Jesus. Amen? Just respond like Jesus. Act like Jesus. And Jesus, in His walk and His ministry and His life, lived a life showing no personal favoritism, but rather he treated all people the same. He treated, let's talk about that a minute. Let's take one, one of his, his teachings. One of his teachings was about the Good Samaritan. And what was the Good Samaritan story about? It was about a man who fell in need, was attacked by robbers, and here comes The priest, and here comes the scribe, and here comes them walking by, who are the religious people, and they don't have anything to do with him until a Samaritan, who would ordinarily have nothing to do with a Jew, comes by, and that Samaritan takes care of that Jew and takes him to a hotel and pays for them to take care of him, and he pays all of that. And he's talking about the fact of this, where that Jew you would expect it to happen, where that Jew you would anticipate, but here is a Samaritan who knows what it's like to be a neighbor, and that Samaritan goes and cares for it, and that all of those are examples of what a good neighbor is all about. Why is that important? Because of what James is going to quote down here, and what Jesus was talking about, whenever he said that the second greatest commandment is this, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they ask him, well, who is my neighbor? And he goes and tells the story of the good Samaritan. Pointing out that in the mind of Jesus, there was no difference in the Jew or the Samaritan. He reaffirmed that at the when he talked to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman that he ordinarily would not talk to at all, would not share with at all. But what did he do? He talks to her and tells her all about her life and brings her to faith in him and tells her that he is the Messiah and her life is transformed. And she goes out and tells the city and they come out and their life is transformed. All of that because Jesus treated everybody the same. Amen. In his teachings, he taught him. About- in his very actions, he taught. He, he treated everybody the same. Do you remember the ones he chose to be his disciples and apostles? There was Peter, the fisherman, and there were other fishermen with him. But there was also Matthew, the tax gatherer. Who in the world would choose a tax gatherer? Who would choose a tax collector who was in cahoots with Rome many times? Who would choose them to do that? At the same time, he chose a zealot. You know who a zealot was? A zealot was one who was committed to the Jewish faith... And they would kill anybody in cahoots with Rome. And here you've got Matthew the tax gatherer. And here you got the zealot. And they're together. Who would ever put that crew together? Jesus. But he also chose a murderer. His name was Saul and became the apostle Paul. Who would choose him? Because Jesus chose all people. Because he saw something different. He wasn't looking at the outside. Jesus was always looking at the inside. And, and not only was Jesus looking at the inside versus the outside... Jesus was always looking at what they could be, not what they were. Amen? Isn't that important? I'm glad that Jesus looks at my inside rather than my outside. And I'm glad that when Jesus looks at me, he looks at Mac and says, Boy, there there might be something that we can work out there. I'm glad he's not looking at who I am. I'm glad he's looking at, at what I could be. And that's what he's done for each and every one of us. That's what his message was all about. His message was this, that the Father would not want any to perish but for all to come. All to come, no matter who you are, no matter what your economic status, no matter what you look like. He wants all to come. Jesus died for everyone. See, Jesus, that glorious Lord that we serve, he lived a life of no favoritism. He treated us and looked at us all the same. And he did that for you. He did that for you. That's, that's why he chose you. You've been chosen by God. That's why he loved you. He chose you and he loves you. Because he sees you as of utmost importance. And equal to everybody else. And he died on the cross to pay the price Now, I hope that you sit here today and say, boy, I know that God has chosen me. I know that God loves me. I understand how much Jesus cares for me, that he is so blessed for me. He's blessed my life. I hope you know that. But if you cannot say that, then it's just because you haven't experienced it. Because I'm here to tell you, he's already chosen you. It's up to you to choose him. He's already sitting at the altar and he's saying, I do. But he wants to know, will you? And if you want to know that love of God and you want to know what it's like to be chosen by God and you want to experience that, all you have to do is to come to him by faith and say, I do. And you'll understand that he values you and that you're just as important as anybody else. So Jesus Christ, as he walked here, as he taught, as he lived, his message was this, that everybody he loves and everybody's the same to him and he cares for everyone. And he calls us as his children to do the same. But, but let's, can I ask you a question? All right, let's just get away from message. Is, is it hard to do and to be like Jesus for you? Is that hard? I mean, it, it, we can say just live like Jesus, but is that hard? It's hard for me to be like Jesus. Because I got an old sinful nature in me that causes me to want to be like me instead of be like him. James knows that. I think James had that same nature. You know why? Because that's what he says in chapter 2. Hey, listen. The glorious Lord Jesus lived a life that was so distinctly different. But we have the tendency that we want to show favoritism. We we, we want to judge others, and and we want to elevate some and put down others. And and he says, that should not be. You cannot let your sinful life, you cannot let that sinful nature take over. You need to be like the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what was he like? He showed, verse 1, he showed no attitude of personal favoritism. No attitude of personal favoritism. He loved us all the same. You know, he loves you just as much as he did Paul. He loves you just as much as he did Peter. He loves you the same. All of us the same. And he says, that's what I want you to be like. That's what I want you to be like. Now, if we just read that one verse, that's the principle. If we just read that one verse, do not show personal favoritism. Then most of us could walk away and say, well, I, 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 think, I think that's what I could do. I, I probably live like that. I'm okay. But he won't let us get away with that. He then gives illustrations. You know, I mean, principle is one thing to illustrate the other. So here's his illustration. He says, the illustration is, for if a man comes into your assembly, there in verse 2, and he has a gold ring on his finger, and he's dressed in fine clothes, and, and, and he looks like he's got the world by the tail, and he's got great resources, and he is blessed among men, and all these things that he sees, but at the same time, At the very same time, walking in the door together, there is a poor man who is in dirty clothes. All right, here's the challenge. Here's the illustration. One walks in, gold ring on his finger, nice clothes. The other walks in who's dirty and who's obviously very poor. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to that person? How are you going to treat? Are you going to treat them all both the same? Jesus would have treated them both the same. But what about us? Look what he says in verse 3. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. And say to him, you sit here in this good place. Man, we got this special place for you. We want you to sit right here. We want you to stand because you are a special guest. We want you to come in. We want you that's okay, except for the fact, he says, but to the poor man, you tell him, I'm sorry, we don't have a spot for you. You can stand over there in the corner. Or, or if you don't want to stand in the corner, you can come sit here at my footstool. You're going to sit here at my footstool. He, he says, if you do that, verse 4, have you not made a distinction among them and have you not become judges with evil motives? Wow, can't get away from that, can you? Have you ever been tempted to treat somebody differently because of the way they look? Because of what they might have? I've had, thank the Lord, not in this church, but I, I promise you I've had it in my pastor. I've had people come up to me and, and they'll say to me, say, hey, Brother Mac, listen. There's so-and-so who's here today and they're very wealthy. They're very wealthy and they have a lot of money and a lot, they're well thought of. You need to make sure you get by and greet them. You need to make sure that you make them feel welcome. Why? Well, I hope I would. But I would hope I would do it to any other person as well. There's not setting apart somebody because they're special. Because they have things. And somebody doesn't have things. To be like Jesus is I'm going to love on whoever it is that comes. Because they're valuable in the sight of God. Amen? Now, I'm telling you, that's tough, right? Right? It's hard when he says this, but this is what he says we have to do to live. And he says, if we do make that distinction in our life, if we do make that distinction, we have become judges with evil motives. With evil motives. Wow. Now, look what he says in verse 5. Don't miss it. Listen, my beloved brethren. Did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich man who oppresses you and personally drags you into court? He said, do you know that God has blessed the poor man? That the poor man is really blessed more than the rich man. That brings us back to chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 of James. I want you to show show you something. Look what it says in verse 9. Chapter 1. But let the brother of humble circumstance glory in his high position. In other words, he says the poor man needs to glory in his high position. Why, Why is it that the poor man has such a high position? Because the poor man finds it easier to find faith in Jesus. Right? The poor man is looking for something that he doesn't have here. He doesn't have the riches of the world. He doesn't have a whole lot of things that attach him to this world. It's not something, place he's got a he's longing to stay. And because that man doesn't have much, he's looking for something out there in the future. He's looking for something out there that's better. And here comes the message of the gospel that says, listen, Jesus has a place for you. And he has a place for you where you're going to have all that you're going to eat. You can have the marriage feast of the lamb. You're going to be able to enjoy that. He's going to prepare for you a house by the master carpenter that's going to be yours. There's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more loss. There's going to be no more poor or rich. You're going to be blessed. And that poor man says, I want that. I want that. That's what I'm looking for. Well, you find it in Jesus. Jesus makes the way for you. So that poor man finds it easier to say, man, I will give up all that I have here because I have nothing. (laughs) In order to have what he has for me, which is everything. And what James says is that poor man has a high position because Jesus put him in a place to where he's going to search and long for and find it easier to find eternity. But what else he say? Look what it says in verse 10. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he's going to pass away. He he says if the rich man wants to glory, don't don't let the rich man glory in what he has. Don't let him glory in what possessions he has or the ring he wears on his face. Don't let him glory. Let him glory in humiliation. What does that mean, glory? It means to glory and be humble that God would bless him in such a way. Why would God bless me? I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be to have these things. But God has blessed me. I certainly don't deserve it. It's all His anyway. And if the rich man will find humility in what he has, and he's not possessed by his possessions, then he can find faith in Christ as well. But he has to glory in humiliation, not in an honor. And, and then he says this statement. He says the reason that's important is because look what it says there in verse ten, the gra- like the grass he passes away. Look at verse eleven. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. Listen, so to the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now that does not mean that the rich man is not going to get to go to heaven, but what it's an illustration of is what does it mean and what are riches? He said, when the sun rises, when the sun rises. It's going to bring forth heat, and it's going to cause all the flowers on the grass to wither away. Now, do you know what riches are? You know what riches are? Riches are the flowering grass of our life, aren't they? They are. If you take two people, and you set them here, and all they have is a white toga on, they stand there, white, have nothing, they're just standing here, you would have no idea whether they are rich or poor. The only way you know they're rich or poor is because what flowers they have. Right? If they got a lot of flowers, then they're rich. If they don't have many flowers, then they're obviously poor. That's the distinction. But it says when the sun rises, it's going to wither away all the flowers. Now, that's talking about the S-U-N, but there is another one called the S-O-N who's going to rise. Amen? And when the Son of God rises... It says, all the flowers that have made the rich man will all be burned up and passed away. They won't be there anymore. What you'll have is you'll have that person standing before God, just like any person who was poorer than them, all standing before God. That's why it says the rich man passes away. It doesn't mean he passed away eternally. It means that all the flowering things that made him rich, that gave him position in this world, all that's going to be gone it's not going to be here it's all going to be gone and it's just going to be that person standing before almighty God and if they were rich or they were poor there is no distinction between them because whenever Jesus comes all the flowers are going to fade away now if you're if you're blessed and we are blessed to be rich all of us who are sitting here we're rich compared to the world amen Well, you better hold on lightly to those things that are your flowers because they're going to fade away. The only thing that's going to matter is you standing before Almighty God, and you're going to be standing there whether you're rich or poor. You're going to give an account before Almighty God, all right? And that's what he's talking about. Go back to chapter 2 now. When he was talking about this flower and grass and the humble circumstances and where they are and you're judging them, look what he says in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did you not choose the poor of this world, did God not choose the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, and he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? He says two distinctions about this poor man and this, this rich man, the ones he's comparing. He says the poor man in this case, he has the most important thing about his life is the fact that it says he loved God. He promised to those who love him. The greatest thing about the poor man in this story is he loved God because he's an heir of all that God blesses and he receives the love because he loved God. That's the most important part of him, right? He says, but the rich man, even though he looks like he's got a lot, he's the one that drags you to court. He's the one who's blaspheming the name, the fair name by which you're called, the Lord Jesus. In his heart, he's not right with God. But you're honoring the one because he has the worldly riches. You're honoring them, putting down the poor man when the poor man is the one who loves God. And in this case, the rich man is the one who doesn't love Jesus and blasphemes his name. But rather you made choices on what you see rather than his heart. And he says, when you've done that, you have judged and you made a distinction about that. And that is wrong. That is wrong. Look what he says here in verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, here it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And Jesus explained who our neighbor was in that Good Samaritan story. Who is our neighbor? Anybody. Anybody and everybody, especially those who have need. They are our neighbor. And what are we supposed to be doing? Loving them as we love ourselves. That's what Jesus called us to do. That's what Jesus did. And whenever you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to let that be the second greatest commandment. For the first greatest commandment is to love God with all that you are. Amen? But it's related to the world. You're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you're sitting here and saying what James has said. Wow, that challenges me. And I'm telling you, that challenges me. Because I know that what Jesus was like, and I want to be like that. But I also know that it it falls, my old sinful nature wants to show favoritism to somebody over another. It's not always just riches. It can be whether you're pretty or not. Whether you're handsome or not. It can be all kinds of things where you live. What's your education background? It can be all kinds of things, all right? But you find yourself making a distinction between those things which is so unlike Jesus and you're saying, wow, what do I do? Confess it. That's what you do. You confess. That's what we're to do with sin. We're to confess our sin and say, God, I'm sorry that I did that. God, I'm sorry that I looked that way. God, I'm sorry I focus on outward things instead of inward things. God, please help. That's what you do. Please help me. Please help me. But, but many people will hear the old devil come along. You know what he's going to tell you? That's not a big deal everybody does it everybody does listen just because everybody does it doesn't make it right amen and 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 you're not going to be judged by everybody remember when we stand before jesus it's not with everybody it's us you're going to have to give an account of your life and jesus expectation of you is just what his word says So, don't believe what the enemy says. Say, well, that's not really a big deal because everybody does. Let me show you how big a deal it is. That's what James says there in verse number nine. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Did y'all see that? Write that down, circle that in your Bible. You're committing what? If you show partiality, you're committing what? Sin. Sin? You mean it's not just a mistake? It's just not, I haven't grown to that yet. It's called sin. There's only one thing you do with sin. That's confess it, amen? You don't forget it. Forgetting is not going to help you. You might forget it, but God doesn't. But he will forgive it when you confess it. So you have to realize that that sin. Don't take that as a fact that it's just a personality flaw. It's sin. You have to deal with it as sin. Look at it. I'm not saying it. it's what he says. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin as convicted by the law as transgressors. That's not all, though. I hear you. I hear you rationalizing. Listen. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Did you hear that? If you fell in one point, you have been guilty of all. Look at the next verse. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You're just as guilty as anything else. Well, if somebody commits adultery but not murder, they're all guilty of, of transgression. Wait a minute. If you show partiality and favoritism when Jesus says, do not do it, you're guilty as a murderer. You're just as guilty as a murderer. You're just as guilty as an adulterer. It's called sin. Satan wants you to be able to live with sin. He wants you to be able to coexist with sin. He's going to give you every excuse you can to live with sin, especially those kinds of sin which are not murder and adultery. But that sin in your life will affect you just as much as any other sin will affect you. Therefore, he wants you not to deal with that sin. Just don't deal with that sin. Coexist with that sin. Have a high sin tolerance. What is a high sin tolerance? Well, let me ask you this what is a high pain tolerance? A high pain tolerance means what? That I can deal with a lot of pain. Well, a high sin tolerance is that I can deal with a lot of sin. That's not a great quality. You need a very low sin tolerance. So that whenever you're convicted by God and God's spirit says that is sin, you immediately say, God, I'm sorry that I committed that sin. I want to be cleansed from that sin. And would you make me right? I want to tell you, that's how you walk in the spirit. Amen. Do you know how I know that I'm close to God? I'm close to God that whenever I sin, I immediately know it. I don't have to wait and God has to bring it up in the past. It's just when I do it, when I say it, when I thought it, when I right then I know what I just did was sin. That's a low sin tolerance. God wants us to have the lowest of sin tolerance. He wants us when we commit one sin, we realize that affects our fellowship and we get right. Even when it's a sin that we don't consider that's that bad, sin of partiality, he said, you're guilty of all. You're guilty of all. You've got to take care of that. You've got to deal with that. Now look what he says in verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act, here it is, as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. We mentioned that law of liberty in chapter 1. That law of liberty is what? It's Jesus. Jesus is the law of liberty. And Jesus ushered in the law of liberty. And what was that? Jesus died on the cross to forgive you and me of sin. He shows to us forgiveness. He shows to us mercy. He shows to us His love. He shows to us His acceptance. Aren't you glad that Jesus did all that for you? I mean, that's what He did for you. That's what He did for me. All those things. Forgiveness, love, acceptance, mercy. All that He did for me. And because He has done that for me. Because He does that in my life for me. I want to tell you, I want to give that to other people. Amen? I, I, if he did that for me, I want to show love to other people. I, I, I want to show mercy to other people. I want to show acceptance to other people. I, I want to be what Jesus was to me. I want to be to somebody else if I'm focusing in on what Jesus did. So to be what Jesus is, it, it simply means to live like Jesus in relationship to other people. And what he do? He sees us all the same. He died on the cross and paid the price for each and every one of us. Then he gives the last statement here. Look what he says, verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Now remember he said if we're showing partiality and we mistreat that person who's poor or who's needy, we become judge over them. We've made judgment over them. But he says mercy overcomes judgment. So what we need in our life is not the judgment, but mercy. Mercy that was given to me is mercy that's given to them. And here's the real real key, what he's saying in that verse. God, God, will treat you and others will treat you the way you treat others. Wow, wait, wait a minute. For those who show no mercy, the judgment will be strong. The judgment will be powerful. The judgment will be very direct with very little mercy. But those who show mercy, they'll receive the abundance of the mercy of God. Now, let me ask you a question. It's going to happen. You're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. You're going to have to give an account, all right? Whenever you stand before God... Do you want God to have his judgment robes on or do you want him to have his mercy robes on? What do you want? Hallelujah. That's a truth. When I show up, I want Jesus to be full of mercy. I want God to be full of mercy for I am one in need of mercy. And how do I guarantee that? Because I've shown mercy to others. I've lived like Jesus would have me to live, and that's to give mercy and show mercy to others. See, Christianity means that we're distinctly different. Showing favoritism to somebody and picking out somebody and treating them different. That's the world. That's the way the world is. And when you get out there in the world, the world will, will tell you that's fine. The world will say that's how we all live. The world will say that's how we function. But you are not called to be of the world. You're called to be of Christ. Of Christ in the world. Making a difference upon the world. That the light of Christ would shine in you. And how can you be different? Because you see everybody the same. As recipients of the love and mercy of God. Therefore, as deserving of your love and your mercy and your acceptance. No matter who they might be. No matter what they might wear. That we all see each other the same. You want a church? You want to see a church explode? You want to see a church explode? You let that church begin to treat everybody the same. And to love everybody. No matter who they are and where they come from. With a total love of God. And people need that. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. And Jesus wants us to do it because he did it. Amen. That's not easy. But it's what God's called us to be. Now, you can forget this message if you want to. But you're going to be held responsible for it. Uh Uh-oh. Did you hear that? You're going to be held responsible for it because you know the truth now. You know what God says He wants us to do. And whenever you get up there and you want to make excuses, God says, Do you remember when you heard that? you remember when that message was preached to you? You're held responsible for that. And God expects you and me to walk out of here differently being different, different from the world, different from how we walked in maybe. But that's what it means to be a Christian, to live a Christian life. Amen?
0: That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com Slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.